good evening again. Now, a couple of summers ago, to start with a little story, and we often go to Cornwall for a break, like a week or something like that. We love Cornwall. If you've not been that way before, it's beautiful. And we'll drive all around the coastline, and it's amazing. This particular time, a couple of years ago, we went to a theme park called Flambarts, uh, if you're interested. And uh, the kids are really excited about it. We've got three kids. They're delighted about us going. And we're walking around this theme park, which is really brilliant. And there's this enormous ride in the corner. And one of our kids is like, I want to do that. And it involved getting in a harness. It involved being swung around a lot of times very high up. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> do you really want to do that? And she said, no, no, I definitely want to do it. And so we queued up, and it took a while, ages. And all the way through, I was saying, do you know what? You don't have to do this. It's okay. You don't have to do it. It's fine. But my daughter, she just was very persistent, and she was like, Dad, you're just like a broken record. And I'm not sure she even knew what a broken record was. But anyway, we get to the front and, like, harness on. And actually, if I'm totally honest, at this point, I'm watching from a distance. Uh, Anna's actually with my daughter. I'm looking after the bags. Someone's got to do that job. And at this point, I was doing that. But anyway, I'm looking on, and I see my daughter. She just has this physical response to the fear. And I know you would have heard of, like, knees knocking. It was like that. Her entire lower body was turning to jelly. Uh, but she carries on. She gets into this, this ride. And all the people around are kind of cheering her on. You can do this. They could see the nerves in her as well. And she goes on it. And she does it, and the ride's in motion, and you can see the smile kind of come back on her face. And then in moments later, she's on solid ground, taking the harness off, and she's saying, I want to do it again. Let's do it again. And Anna was very quiet at that point, so we didn't, we didn't go on it again. But we were debriefing this later, and I was saying, I can't believe you did that. That was such a gutsy thing. Well done. And I said, I could never have done that. And I remember that my daughter, she looked at me, she was quite deadpan, and just said, yeah, Dad, you're right. You could never have done that. <laughs> and the thing is, though, I was thinking about it, she's totally right. Like, me and Heights just aren't good. A complete waste of money is when we go on some ride or we go to some attraction and we've got to go up high because I just can't do it. I'll have eyes closed all the way round. Isn't it amazing? The things in our life that we could say, I could never do that. I think we do it a lot, if not externally, we do it internally. We see that things that other people are doing, or there's challenges, there's opportunities. I could never do that. Or I could never speak like that. I could never be like that. And we put all these limits um, that, that kind of hold our potential. You know, often when we do that, and we say, I could never do that, or I could never be like that, it's actually saying, I've got a fear got this fear that prevents me from trying that thing, or I'm too afraid to consider being like that. And it's fear. It's fear that limits our potential. And actually, if we were going to examine our life, and, and we haven't got time quite this evening, but I would encourage you to do this later this week, but, but like have a think. What are the areas in life that you would say, I could never do? What are the areas? Because it's worth going on a journey right into the core of who you are and, and it's deeply personal and your set of fears and anxieties will be different to mine. But where have you placed limits? Earlier this term, someone has a joke from church 
entered me into the Chester 10k run. And it's a joke because I can hear laughing over there. Thank you. Very much. Dominic there. But uh, for those who know me, I'm not particularly good at running. I don't like it that much. And I just can't imagine how you begin to train for the 10k. I've tried, and I just can't do it. Yet on the other hand, there's other people who have never been runners before that I know at church, and they've just started training, and suddenly they're running 10k and more. Like, what's the deal there? How come some people can, can do that, and other people feel completely limited, like me and running? We're in a series. In the evenings, we've been looking at the subject of courage. Courage, because it's one of the things that God wants to build in you. Is courage. It's even a promise that we can grow in courage, develop courage. And God wants to build it in you. He wants to build it in us because there's a bunch of things that he's got for you. And there's a bunch of things that he'll put on your heart to partner with him. Like new things to start and, and things to grow in and, and areas of life to conquer as well. And you might feel unable and will probably feel unqualified. Do I know enough? Am I good enough? Can I really make a difference? But what we've seen throughout this series is that God specialises in partnering with everyday, ordinary people. Now, I'm not necessarily just calling you everyday, ordinary people. But God specialises in partnering with people like us. Someone wisely said to me a while ago, God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called." And I love that. It is so true. And so we're just going to go on a journey with that for a moment this evening. And we're going to look at the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, like how this all started for us here uh, 2,000 years later. And I'm going to begin with Jesus' final words to his followers. Uh, and this is, in fact, the final thing he said in Acts chapter 1. Just as he's leaving to go and be with his father, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word power that Jesus used, it, it means you'll be able, you'll be equipped, you'll even have authority over. You'll overcome all kinds of obstacles and fears and, and challenges. You'll have the power to do it. Now a bit of background, Jesus is saying this to his early followers and um, before the death, resurrection of Jesus, and before they'd been filled with the Spirit, these followers were marked by fear. They were just afraid all the time. They were like one big spider away from quivering in fear in any moment. If you read the, uh, the four biographies of Jesus, the word fear or afraid comes up 45 times in reference to these guys. They're afraid all the time. They're afraid when Jesus calms the storm. They're afraid when Jesus walks on water. They're afraid of going to certain people's homes. They're afraid of making mistakes. They're afraid of eating certain foods. And of course, the pinnacle of their fear is when Jesus is arrested. And actually, if you know the story, it, it looks like the disciples found some courage for a moment from somewhere. Because one of them, Peter, he picks up his sword and he actually cuts off someone's ear. And that sounds kind of, kind of horrific, but impressive and courageous at the same time. He found some courage somewhere, I guess. But when you look at the story, the person whose ear he cut off was a guy called Malchus. And it says that Malchus was the priest's servant. So in other words, he was probably the only person in the group 
who came to arrest Jesus that didn't have any weapons. And it's almost like Peter's looked around and go, yeah, yeah, come on then, I'll take you on, and not you so much, and not you, you're a bit big, and, and not you, you've got a weapon. Ah, you've not got a sword, I'm taking you out. And, but the, what happens next is he literally runs away. So this happens and he runs away. And so Matthew will write this. All the disciples, disciples deserted him, that's Jesus, and fled. It's a moment of like, what are we going to do? And they, they flee. You'll find later that Peter denies knowing Jesus. He's questioned um, by a young child and he just can't say, oh, I know Jesus. And their lives are marked by fear again and again and again. But it all changes when they receive God's power. And it's in this moment. It's talked about in Acts. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 4, if you've got a Bible. It'll come up on the screen as well. And a bit of an intro to Acts chapter 4. Again, this is now after the cross, after the resurrection of Jesus, and after these disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And they have this power. It's like incredible. And as you read it, you'll see that Peter and, and John and these other guys, they're immediately like taking risks for Jesus. They're standing up in front of the... Um, the religious powers of the day, and they're saying, I can't stop talking about Jesus. And they, they gather a crowd of like 3,000 people. And they do these incredible miracles where people are, are healed and set free. And as a result of that, they're put into prison. And the day later, they come out before the religious authorities. And, and that's what we're going to be reading. So from Acts chapter 4. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and this is a prophecy from the Old Testament, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no other, sorry, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And we'll just go down a little bit further. The kind of struggle goes on for a little bit longer. Then they get released by the religious authorities. And when we get to drop in on, on their prayer when they get back with their team, with the disciples. And you might think, well, how would I pray if I've just had that kind of been in prison and and I've been told off for, for talking about my faith. How would I pray? You might pray, well, God, would you keep me safe? Would you protect me? Um, would all this go away and be easy tomorrow? But this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. It's like, what an amazing story. And, and the first thing I want you to notice is just how much they've changed. 
So their lives marked by fear, now marked by courage. So in verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, or verse 33, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. And how did it happen? Well, I love the explanation that's there. So these religious leaders are looking at them, trying to piece it together, and it says they're astonished. They took note that these men, these unschooled, ordinary men, had been with Jesus. That's how the change had taken place. And just to um, re-emphasize, the original Greek for ordinary, uh, when it says they're ordinary people here, is actually much stronger than the Bible translators say. They give a much kind of more polite way of putting it. But the Greek is actually idiotes. I think that's how you say idiotes, which I'm sure you can guess what that word actually means. But, but that's what these people were like. They were just average, normal. Um, they were unschooled. They probably had a lot of issues. Ordinary people, idiotas, or however you say it. It's so encouraging. Because the qualification for being used by God is people who are just foolish enough to believe that Jesus is who he says he was and to believe that he can do the things that he said he can do. It's people who can believe that all things are possible, like Sergio shared earlier. And so what's happened here? Like this dramatic change, they've gone from being full of fear to being courageous. It's not just a little bit of tweaking at the edges. It's the whole sense of themselves have been reorientated. And Luke just explains it. Luke writes Acts. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's gone to work on them. The power that changed Jesus from, from death to life, from being humiliated to being crowned in glory, had gone to work on them, in their souls, inside, changing and transforming the very core of who they are. And the reason it's so important, the reason that we want to look at this today, is that if Jesus, if the Holy Spirit can do that to these disciples, he can do that for us. He can do that for us. And so firstly, it just gives us hope for change. Because if the disciples on receiving this power were completely changed, then even the most horrible and defining and hideous aspects of our lives can experience the transforming power of God. There's no wound too big, there's no fear too big, there's no timidity that can't utterly be transformed in God's power. There's hope for change. And secondly, there's hope for joy. I think if there's one thing our culture lacks more than anything else at the moment, it's joy. It's this ability to see things as being possible and things can change and that there's hope. Now this last month, I've had a lot of back pain. And it's been pretty horrible, if I'm honest. And I've been on lots of different medication and it's kept me up at night. And it has tested my joy limits. But what I can happily say is that during that time, when I've spent time with Jesus, especially in community, especially in small group and with people who are praying, I've experienced deep joy, even in the midst of pain. When God fills us with his power, there's joy, there's hope, there's joy in his presence. And a byproduct of all this is we're filled with courage. So we have freedom. We can be who God uh, is calling us to be. We can go where God is calling us to go. We're no longer restricted by saying, I could never do that. 
now there possibly be people in the room who don't know Jesus yet, or you're not sure if you do. Well, this kind of freedom, this courage, this kind of life-changing power is available to you. It doesn't come automatically. You have to receive it and surrender your life to Jesus. And It's acknowledging our, our sin and our need of him and it's celebrating his, his life and, and what he did on the cross for us. But Jesus generously gives us his power and his courage and changes our life. How does this work out for someone who's followed Jesus for, for a long time? And you're like struggling with the same things. And you're like, am I making steps forward or am I not? A little while back, I had um, a particularly bad day. Now, looking back on it now with perspective, it probably wasn't that bad. But at the time, it just felt terrible. Uh, to start with, I had not done much exercise since school, pretty much. And uh, I decided to start playing football on a Monday night. There's a load of guys here playing football on Monday night. And I've done a few weeks of that. I've got one of those apps on my phone uh, to count my number of steps. And I'd started going out on long, I would call them runs, other people call them walks. But I was out, and I'm, this particular day I'm pounding the pavement, hoping that no one sees me. And suddenly I get this pain in my knee. And I just know it's going to kind of ruin my day. It's just not going to go away. Then I'm in the car, and I'm driving to work, and this... This light just starts flashing on the dashboard and it's like brighter than the sun. And um, it's just saying there's something seriously wrong in the car and it keeps going. And I'm like, this is brilliant. And I get to work and it's just bad news after bad news. And I'm really grumpy and things just aren't going well. I even banged my head on the inside of a cupboard door. I don't know how I managed to do it. It looked impossible, but I did. And then I got back in the car and then the light was on again and I'm reminded it's breaking down, it's breaking down, it's breaking down. And I got home and I just wanted to find somewhere quiet. Just have a great cup of coffee. And I've got this like special way of making coffee that I really love. So I'm going to make a great cup of coffee. And uh, I do and then I go to the fridge and there's no blimmin' milk. There's no milk in the fridge. I was so annoyed like everything. It just wasn't working. And I picked up my, my coat. I guess I'm just going to head out to get some milk. And suddenly I pick up my coat. And this 20 pounds just fell out of my pocket. And I'm like, wow. And my whole day, it must have been a bad day, my whole day was just transformed in that moment. I honestly felt like I'd won the lottery or something. This 20 pound note was just the best news. All of a sudden, and my whole mindset changed. Now the point is, it's a fairly silly story. The point is this, we have way more in our hands than we realise. We have way more in our hands than we realise. As we follow Jesus, there is more. There is way more in God. You know, being with Jesus gives us unstoppable courage. Courage to speak about him, courage to pray for healing, courage to endure, courage to trust God with our lives. And so I guess the main challenge of this evening would be this. If, if courage comes from knowing Jesus really well and being secure in our relationship with God, do we intentionally choose him and to pursue him and his, his way for our lives? Do we do that? That's where courage is found. 
And then I've got three quick observations on courage, the courage that Jesus is wanting to give us. And here they are. The first is this. They're short, I promise. It's courage and fear, not courage or fear. It's courage and fear. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of visiting a house that you used to live in. And so I grew up in the, in the West Country, and the original house that I was kind of grew up with, it was sold, but I got the opportunity to look around it from time to time and see all the tweaks and changes. And it's really weird when you don't live in the old house, but you just visit it occasionally. And that's what seems to be happening with the disciples. That they no longer live in fear, but that doesn't mean that, that they never visit fear. And perhaps the best example uh, in the early church is this guy Paul. He's early church leader, he writes in the letters in the New Testament, and he is a remarkable man of courage. If I was going to say, look at someone with courage, it would be Paul. He's like relentlessly um, oppressed, and he's tortured at points, and he's beaten, and he's, he's, he's shipwrecked, um, and he's stoned, um, and not in the way we tend to use the word today, but he's still determined to tell everyone the great news about Jesus with real conviction and real clarity wherever he goes. He even go to Rome, the most dangerous place, and stand in front of the emperor and tell him about Jesus. Just the epitome of strength and courage. Yet this is what he writes to the Corinthian church. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's important that we recognise that as we receive courage, it doesn't mean we're not ever going to be afraid again. Nelson Mandela says it this way, he, he said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Courageous people don't live without fear, they just have the courage to overcome it. So it's courage and fear, not courage or fear. The second one is this, it's courage for adversity, not courage instead of adversity. And again, that might be an obvious thing that I've said, but when these disciples, when they received God's power, and therefore they received God's courage, it didn't mean that life became suddenly easy for them. In fact, it's pretty much the opposite. If you read on and you see uh, what happens, you don't have to go many chapters forward. You'll find challenge and opposition. And at one point, they're chased from home to home and they have to flee for their lives to other parts of the Mediterranean. See, there's no such thing as a risk-free faith. There is an adventure out there for us. And we can see um, the world changed if we're willing to take godly risks and to listen to God's whispers and respond. But it does mean moving forward. Courage will always be tested and it will always be needed. It wasn't that Peter and John didn't have adversity. It was that their courage was enough to overcome the adversity. Last thing is this. It's courage not only to stand but courage to speak. It's interesting that the primary area of our lives that this courage is given for is so that we can talk about Jesus wherever we go. 
it's a kind of bolstering of our hearts that in any situation we're free to speak about Jesus. So again, with, with Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, uh, or in verse 31, they all spoke the word of God boldly. I don't know if you ever think about this. Uh, I do quite often. Like We gather here on a Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday evening. But then tomorrow we'll be spread out all over the place. All over the city and the county and maybe into Wales and possibly there'll be people here in other parts of Europe over the next week. And we're all in these different spheres and we're all in different places and some being workplaces and some are at home and just scattered around. If you're a follower of Jesus, one thing we've got in common is we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus. Ambassadors for him wherever we go. Now, obviously, we all find that pretty easy and not at all intimidating. We don't find that difficult at all. Uh, but let's just say for a moment that sometimes we do find it more awkward than we care to admit. Uh, so for me, like, I'm never ashamed of telling people I like Marvel films. I just like Marvel films. I'm, I'm not ashamed of being a Jamie Oliver food fan. I like Jamie Oliver. I'm not even ashamed of um, supporting Newcastle United Football Club even though they lost uh, just about an hour ago, 4-0. <laughs> but how come when a friend gives me an ideal opening to talk about Jesus, do I get like moist palms and my voice gets a little choked? Because I've got nothing to be ashamed about. Jesus has completely transformed my life and I can give you story after story about what he's done in my life. My, my past has been dealt with. My present here is like full of purpose. And my future is absolutely guaranteed. So if you feel like that and you can't quite reconcile these two thoughts, why would you join me in just choosing to pray like these disciples prayed? That the Holy Spirit would give us boldness and make us brave when opportunities arrive to speak of Jesus or to do what he's asking us to do. Because... That's what this power is for. It's what the courage is for. And, and here we long to see hundreds of people, and that's a bold thing to say, but hundreds of people from across the region who don't currently know Jesus uh, come to know him, to connect with him for the first time. And in order for that to happen, we're going to need to find a whole new freedom, a whole new way that we speak about Jesus and what he's done in our life. So it's courage and fear. It's courage for adversity. It's courage to speak. I'll just end with this thought. The, uh, the writer Mark Twain said this, the, the two most important days in your life are the day when you're born and the day you find out why. And I was thinking about this quote recently. And I was thinking about fear and courage. And what if my why? What if my purpose, what if the most soul-satisfying, most eternally significant purpose for my life is found the other side of fear? Like on the other side of, I could never do that, or I could never be like that, or I could never uh, go there. And what if that's true of us as a church? That the call of God, the purpose for us as a church was on the other side of fear, that it was conquering 
maybe we need to experience and know and receive this courage that we read about and this boldness and the power that God is offering us even this evening.